Good morning, everybody. I'm just uh, so aware of the presence of God in this place this morning. It's such a, such a blessing. And so I just want to say it's such an honor as well to be able to preach and to share God's word this morning and trust that it will continue to be a part of our worship. Um, if you are new, we are in a series or towards the end of a series that we've been going through in Corinthians called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And uh, I have the honor of unpacking chapter 12 today. So you can turn there. And for the sake of brevity this morning, I'm just going to give a bit of an introduction and then shoot to my main points. We're going to unpack all the scripture one by one there. So I'm not going to read all of it together, Craig, just so that you know. Uh, I don't leave you hanging there. We're not going to actually read it all in one go. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is essentially broken up into two parts. There's the first half and the second half, and I was really wrestling with the Lord as to which half I should unpack, and I'm not Brad, so I can't do one chapter in one sermon, right, which he is gifted to be able to do. I think Brad did all of chapter 10 in one message, and 8 and 10, two chapters. I thought it was just one. Anyway, I, uh, I dishonored you at the 8, bro. I didn't add the extra chapter. So I just I really felt on my heart that the Lord led me to the second half of Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to be looking at verse 12 through to 27. But, but just a way of, of introduction, the first half of chapter 12, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to him, I want you to understand this one thing. When you were still pagans, when you weren't following Jesus, you were being led astray by all sorts of mute idols. When you came to know Jesus, he gave you a spiritual gift. He gave you something that is of the supernatural realm and he placed it into you and it is of the spirit that each and every single one of you believers has a gift. And so I want to say that this morning. I want to say to you, Connect Church, what Paul said to the Corinthian church, every single one of you has a spiritual gift given to you by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian has at least one. That gift is given by the same spirit to his church. To each individual is given a gift and it should be used for the glory of God. But what was happening in the Corinthian church was because it was a melting pot of different cultures coming together, unlike the church in Jerusalem, they had vastly different experiences of life and culture and upbringing and beliefs. When they came together, they were still embracing a worldly way of looking at stuff. And so one person with one gift was thinking that they were better than the person with another. And so they were gathering together with like-minded people causing and creating factions and sects within the church. And so division was rife. And some were saying, oh, my gift is better than yours. That isn't really a gift. We don't need that. That's just a talent. That's not a gift. Mine's supernatural. Yours not supernatural. And so there was a whole bunch of infighting that was happening within the church. And Paul, right in the beginning of chapter 12, says, just want you to understand, each of you has a gift. This is from the Spirit. Don't neglect it. Fan it into flame. He says elsewhere to Timothy about the gift. And he says, in a sense, in the second half, I want you to focus on this, which I think is more important for you. To understand that your gift isn't about you, but it's about the glory of God. It's about the church. And so what you need to protect is unity. If you having a spiritual gift is causing you to fight, you've misunderstood the gift. You've misunderstood the power of unity and what God has actually called you to do. And that's really what he does in the second half. He speaks about the church being a body. And people throughout the generations uh, have, have been fascinated by the body by, and the way that it works, the way the organs and the nervous system and the skeletal structure and the tenons and all that sort of stuff work together, the mind and the heart and the organs and the, the blood flows through the veins and the arteries. People have been consumed by the intricacies of our body. 
And so Paul goes and he uses that analogy to describe the way unity within the church should look. He says, although the body consists of many parts and each part has its various functions, it is still part of a composite whole. It's still part of a a unit called the body. And the many parts exist for the whole. And the whole is what is beautiful. And it's made up of many parts. So says to the Corinthians, we want to focus on unity. So we're going to read what Paul said to the Corinthian church. But really at the end of it, he ties it all together and it's a beautiful verse in verse uh, 27. We'll get to that at the end. But essentially what he's saying is that the body's healthy and efficient when each part is functioning and doing what it's called to do for the glory of God. The body is not jealous of each other. It doesn't covet another um, part's role and function. It embraces what it's been given to do. And so from Paul's perspective, there are just four things that he encourages the Corinthian church with. And the Lord is encouraging, I believe, us today with these same four things. And the first thing we look at is that we should realize, Paul highlights for the Corinthians, that they should realize that they need each other. They need each other. This is what he says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. In other words, church, what we do on a Sunday and church in and of itself is not a club or a social gathering gathering that you get together and join for your own edification and benefits, for your own convenience. Instead, the church is a body in which each member is incorporated into the body for mutual cooperation and benefit. Under the lordship of Jesus. It is a living, dynamic organism meant to represent the king. And not one part of it that God places into it is not meant to be there. Therefore, there really should be no such thing as isolation within the church There should not be a person who feels isolated, ostracized, segregated, and lonely within the church because each of us need each other. You have a specific gift that God has placed in you, and the body needs you to be functioning in that gift and fanning it into flame and not neglecting it. Too often church can really become a lonely place, especially in a bigger church where Christians feel like they're an island amongst islands, just floating in a vast sea of nothingness. It can feel like that sometimes, where you feel useless and empty. And we sometimes feel that way because we come together, we get together, we sit in the chairs that we sit in on a Sunday, and we're here with everybody for ourselves. So we come to receive and to soak up But we don't come to give. We don't come recognizing that God has given us a gift to bless the body with. And we should come expecting to be able to use that. See, we feel like family. And we recognize we need each other when we come to church. Understanding that we have a gift that God has given to us to bless other people with. And so we get together for each other. That's what makes us feel like family. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. Don't come together for yourself or for the small group of people that you connect with. Come together for the greater body. And for the greater good, and use your gift for that reason, then the body's healthy and unity prevails. 
It's true of us as Christians that we can become so caught up in our specific area of calling and work as well. We can become so convinced of its supreme position within the church that we even neglect or criticize other people's gifts. We can feel like my work that I've been given to do for the kingdom is so significant that every other person's gift and responsibility pales in comparison. So what we tend to do is gather around people who are called similarly to us. And we hang out in our groups and we don't pay much attention to the person who might not be seen or is working behind the scenes diligently to serve the kingdom. And actually, whose work and outworking of their gift is causing you to be able to function in yours appropriately. It's not simply a case that the ones who appear to have greater authority or anointing or gifting or talent, it's not the case that those are the ones who serve the lesser, that somehow the stronger are always supporting the weaker. Every single one of us provides a unique service for which each and every other member should be deeply grateful. That's the reality of it. Kingdom dynamics and kingdom currency are completely different to the way culture sees things. What God elevates in the kingdom is completely different to what culture elevates. And what we think is strong and powerful actually in the kingdom is weak and sometimes insignificant. And God is calling us as a church to recognize each other, to know that we need each other, to appreciate each other, not to look down on each other, and to pay careful attention to what you carry and what the person next to you carries so that you can glean from that and embrace it. No two members are the same, and each of us has a specific and unique gift that we need to be bringing in order to keep the church healthy. It can never be said of the church that some gifts are unnecessary. It can never be said. It can never be said that it's okay to have idle members. You see, what happens is we come to church and we're in a big church and we think, oh, well, if you know what your gift is, let's just say I carry this specific gift, but there's so many other people with that gift. The reality is there might be a myriad of different people and a number of different people who have the same gift as you, but that gift is never brought out quite as uniquely as when it's brought out through your life. So you might have the gift of teaching, you might have the gift of service, you might have the gift of healing, you might have the gift of evangelism, and you look around and you see there are many other people like that, and you take a, sit, you take a seat back and you just sit because you feel like it's, it's covered. We've got that area covered. The reality is you bring that unique gift in a way that nobody else can bring it because it comes through you. And the fact that God has placed you in the body means that that needs to be coming through you. So if idle members... It can never be true of a church that we have members just sitting there, that the 80-20 principle applies, where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and 80% of the people are doing 20% of the work. At the same time, it can never be said that some gifts and contributions are viewed as dishonorable or that we don't honor everyone for what God has put in them and given them to bring to the body. We all need each other, and that's a fact. So point two, Paul, Paul says... Point one, we, you need to realize, Corinthians, you need each other, so stop, so stop causing divisions. Point two, you need to be content, because contentment is better than envy. He says to me in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. In these verses, Paul is now launching a rebuke or into a rebuke to those who feel like what God has given to them is insignificant. He's challenging them to think about their gift the way God wants them to, not the way men want them to. See, we can sit and we can believe that our gift is insignificant and God could be giving to you the role and responsibility of being an ear. And you can sit there and say, I'm not an ear, I'm an eye, I want to be an eye. It does not mean that you are an eye. You can't be what God has not called you to be. You are who you are. And if you choose not to fulfill that role, it doesn't mean you stop being that thing. So what does that mean for the church? It means that the church suffers. If you're unaware of your gift, it means that you're not functioning in the area that God has called you to function in. And so there's this responsibility to find out what it is that God's put in me and then to fan it into flame and not to undermine it or to feel as though people have got better gifts and to start coveting what other people have. It's okay for you to look around and see different people functioning in different ways within the church and other Christians looking different to you. It's supposed to be that way. As Paul says to the Corinthian church, it's supposed to be that way. If you feel out of place and different, it's because you are. We're not all the same. If all the members in the church were the same, where would the beauty of diversity be within the body? See, we're supposed to be diverse and we're supposed to be unified. There is beauty in diversity. We embrace the fact that each of us is made different. We're made different to other believers and we should respect that. Respect who they are and respect who God has made them to be. I must admit there are times where I am discontent with what I carry. And I look at someone like Shells, right? And I go, Shells has this gift to bring order out of chaos, right? And I go, is my life even together? Right? I wish I could do what Shells does. Bless you, Shells. And I lament not being able to, I feel like I need to go and study how to use Excel properly when I watch Brad at work, right? Or there are times when I come to church and you know who I'm talking about. You guys will know Birgit. If you've been to church and been welcomed by Birgit, you'll know you've just been hit by a ray of sunshine. Right? And she'll say stuff like, welcome to church. It's a new day. It's a day that the Lord has made. And she'll give you a big hug and ask you how you're doing. And I'm standing there serving coffee and I'm watching her welcome people. And I wonder if I even love people. Right? When I see Birgit welcoming people. And then, I, and, then I, and then I envy, in some ways, that gift. I go like, Lord, is there something wrong with me? And then I've got to repent of that attitude because God says, no, that's why she's there. You're a welcoming body because you have people like Birgit. You're an ordered body because you have people like Shells. Right? You're an articulate body because you have people like Brad. You're a directed body because you have the leadership that you have. You're a body who's able to worship because you have people with gifts like El and the others who lead worship and play on the band. And you're a, t- you're a church that serves people because you have people with the gift of service and the people that are being healed and visited. And you name it, we are that church because there are different people who do that within the church. Amen. And so I've got to repent sometimes of feeling inferior and going, God, I want that thing. All right. You see... 
we begin to check out when we think other people are doing the job or ours is insignificant. We begin to check out and we begin to sit back. And when that happens, especially in my life, I realize it's because I've become so self-focused and I've been focused on what people think about who I am as opposed to what Christ thinks about who I am. And so men have a different scale of grading things. And so when men apply value and uniqueness and uh, rarity to something and they value it, very seldom does God do the same thing. And so we see people being praised by people. We see people being recognized. We see people being known by a lot more people in the church than what we're known by people. And then we desire their gift because we think that that's what we need. And there's an emptiness in our hearts and that is only going to be filled when we come to the feet of Jesus and fan into flame what he has given to us and we fulfill the role he's called us to fulfill. We only want what others have if we feel that what we have is insignificant or insufficient and what others have is far better. So for those of you who think less of yourselves, for those of you who feel insignificant, there is a gentle rebuke given to you by the Lord to say, Don't be deceived by the enemy. Don't grade what God has given to you with the scale and the standards of men. But step into the things that God has for you and to see what God has given to you through his eyes is what he's calling you to do. We must safeguard against envy and jealousy. God has given to us what we have and we are not to treat it with contempt, nor are we to treat what other people have with contempt. See, envy brings death. An envious person really is a miserable person. We've all experienced envy. We can't enjoy our God-given blessings. And worst of all, we can't enjoy the blessings that God has given to other people. An envious person is constantly thinking about the fact that they don't have what they deem to be better or rarer or more significant or more valuable that they see outworked in someone else's life. A very good friend of mine, Jason Humphreys, a lot of you will remember Jason, said this to me once. We were just talking about the different gifts in the church, and I think I even interviewed him on the gifts of the Spirit because we were doing a series on that. And he said to me one of the deepest lessons he's learned was that some of the dissatisfaction he experienced in church was as a result of him not appreciating what other people had. And he didn't appreciate it because he wasn't allowing himself to because he thought what they had was better and that other people were thinking better of them and that somehow he had to fight for attention, fight to be recognized. But before God, he had been given everything he needed to be able to step up and be who God has called him to be. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because we should know that. But we come to church and some of us can't appreciate what's being shared from the front. or We can't appreciate worship or we can't appreciate fellowship properly because we're envious of what other people carry. And so instead of drawing from them and sucking the marrow out of what God has given to us, we fight, we have this inner turmoil. Pretending like we're enjoying it, but actually being envious and covetous of what somebody else has. That's not true freedom. Sharing with the 8 o'clock, it's like we've been blessed as a family to go house at some really lovely homes. right? And we appreciate that. So if you need us to, give us a shot. <laughs> we appreciate it. We love it. But there are times you, you come to home and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And you've got to watch your heart. And we've got to watch our hearts. That we don't start coveting stuff. And I realized after hustling for some time and growing up and becoming somewhat of an adult, that owning a home is not exactly all it's cut out to be. Right? It's actually really tough. It's not an asset. It's a liability. 
And all the homeowners are like, yes. Like there's rates and taxes to be paid. Uh, there's maintenance to be done. There's lawns to be mowed. There's all sorts of stuff that comes with owning a home that causes that home to sometimes feel like a place you don't want to be because it costs a lot. And I realized, actually, we're possess- the, the person who enjoys a, another person's home the best is a person who's just asked to look after it for a while. And then, and then make sure everything functions and you, and you just enjoy the facilities and then you leave. Right? So you don't have to worry about the electricity bill. You don't have to worry about the rates and taxes. You don't have to worry. You just leave. It's the same with the gift that someone else carries. You need to realize that what they carry comes with a whole lot of other stuff that you don't understand. To who much is given, much is going to be required. And sometimes we desire gifts that God has not set us apart to carry. And we look at the gift and we look at the artwork in our gift. Or if we look at someone's beautiful home, we don't understand what comes with all of that. And so we're unable to appreciate it. We long for something that isn't ours. And so we don't fulfill the role we're called to fulfill. And so the church starts to suffer. However, a contented person experiences happiness and joy. A contented person has this real calm conviction that God has ordered their life and that the lions have fallen for them in pleasant places and that they can enjoy what God has given them and by enjoying what God has given them, they're able to enjoy what others have for them. See, God has given somebody else a gift so that you can enjoy it, so that you can be built up. Yes, it's great to function in your gift because you're being obedient to God, but the person who's blessed most by your gift is the person who's receiving what you have to give. There's this other thing that happens when we're discontent. We look to fulfill other roles, but we also look to step out of the place we're in and into other places where we feel like we can function in an area that we're not supposed to be. And God says this to you people, to me and to everyone else. God has placed the parts of his body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In other words, for unity to prevail, we must not look to take on what we were not given by God to do. And we must not look to occupy a space God has not called us to occupy. To take yourself out of that place, to start functioning in a different way, is to take yourself and misplace yourself. God is the only one with authority to give you what you carry in the Spirit and to place you where He wants you to be for His kingdom. So be content. Don't envy and don't covet. Paul says a third thing to the Corinthian church. Not only should you realize that you need each other, that you shouldn't covet, that you shouldn't long for what somebody else has, you should have mutual respect and sympathy for one another. So now he moves away from rebuking those who feel lesser about their gift and are insecure about their gift, and he moves into a space and a place where he starts to rebuke those who do carry perhaps a little bit more anointing and are a little bit more powerful in their outworking of their gifts and he rebukes them for looking down on those who appear to be lesser. He says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You'll know that if you kick your baby toe, just how much you need it to be able to balance. But until you do, it's just there. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In these verses, like I said, Paul is challenging those who look down on others because they think they carry a greater gift. The Corinthians have become so proud that they'd forgotten the source of their gift. You see, the Corinthian church was looking down on one another, looking down on other brothers and sisters. And somehow there were members believing that they were superior to others. These are people who tend to feel like they deserve the gifts that God has given them, or somehow they have what they have because of their own righteousness, or that somehow they've earned what God has given to them by doing good things or just by virtue of the fact that they're a great person. Paul's response to them, in a sense, is the same as what he said to them in chapter 4 when he said this to them, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? In other words, what are you bragging about if you have an amazing gift? If your gift is blessing more people in the church? You didn't earn that. God gave that to you. So how on earth can you look at somebody else and say their gift is not as great as yours or they're not as effective as you in the kingdom or that somehow you can lord it over them and they owe you something? What God has given to you, he has given to you. He is the source of your gift and he's given it to you for the body. And you're going to be held accountable for that gift. also helps them to realize that disrespect and contempt towards brothers and sisters is evidence that we've forgotten who's actually in charge. In other words, can we really say to another Christian, I have no need of you, and at the same time hold to the truth that God is sovereign and that he's the one who places the gifts in certain people and certain people into certain churches. In other words, he positions them where they want to be. For us to question the gift of another believer, for us to question the positioning of another believer within this body, is to directly dispute the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus. It's for you to assume a role of God and say, I don't think we need that. There's too many of those. You don't belong here. It's to say to God, God, I disagree with your plan and the way you sort things out. Paul says to the Corinthian church and to us at Connect, you need to repent of that attitude. Paul's warning to them is that this sort of disrespect and contempt for one another, this sort of self-righteousness is self-destructive. The truth is that we all belong and are connected to each other in such a way that each one's effectiveness is dependent upon someone else doing their job in the kingdom well. I just want to say that to you. If you're sitting and you're pew warming, or you don't know what your gift is, you're not fanning it into flame, or you're looking with contempt upon somebody else, or you're envying somebody else's gift, what I can bring is lessened. That's just the way God has designed it. So we like to see ourselves as insular and isolated, not affected by the whole. We are affected by the whole. If you're sitting here and you're carrying something in the spirit you're not supposed to be, it affects how we experience God. Your attitude, your love for Jesus, your love for the body, your love for what God has given you, your love for what God has given other people, all affects how we experience God and our usefulness and effectiveness in the kingdom. But when each of us gives honor when honor is due, When each of us honors our brothers and sisters, the church is built stronger, it's pulled together tighter, and we are made more robust in unity so we can be effective for the kingdom. Last two verses, Paul says, if one suffers, everybody suffers. 
If one is honored, everyone rejoices. In other words, every single Christian should be a good Samaritan. We should feel for each other. It's, it is more difficult in a bigger church to get to know people well, but there should be a sense in the spirit where we, if we know somebody's suffering, it should grieve our hearts and move us to action in some way. Imagine if a hand doesn't care if the other one was wounded, chopped off or disabled in some way. Imagine if it even rejoiced in that. Paul reminds the Corinthians that the Lord gave a second command as well as the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. question is, do you know how much you're supposed to be loving yourself? Do you love yourself? And who is your neighbor? Jesus says your enemy is your neighbor. So if you should love your enemy as you love yourself, how much should we be loving our brothers and sisters? And the last thing, and I think this is a profound thing that Paul says, and as I dwelt on this and meditated on this a bit, it sort of blew my mind in a way that it hadn't before. He says, all of this you need to do well because you are the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. When you think about the physical body of Jesus, when God himself inhabited human flesh, the body of Jesus made him visible. It made him tangible. It made him approachable. It made him relatable. It helped us to see who God is and what he's like. When Jesus spoke, we heard the words and the voice of God. When Jesus acted out, his attributes and his character, we see what God is like. When he shared what is truth and what is untruth, when we see his actions, his thoughts, his attitudes, we we see the very nature of God at work. The physical body of Jesus was a representation to us of what God is like. God's word says, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Everything Jesus did revealed God to us. That's why God took on human flesh. The actual physical body of Jesus is no longer with us. It's ascended into heaven. Jesus has ascended into heaven with the body that he had here. God's word says that we will see the scars in his hands and in his side when we see him in heaven. But here's the crazy thing. This is why unity is so important. God still inhabits human flesh. God still has a body with which he displays to the world himself. God inhabits you and me. The Holy Spirit dwells in its fullness. The fullness of God dwells in you. You, a jar of clay, holding a treasure. And together we are the body. I don't know if that's able to sink in as much as it needs to right now. But we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the voice of Jesus. We are the character and the thoughts of Jesus. We are the truth of the kingdom to a broken and dying world. We are supposed to function as the body, as the body of Jesus functioned to reveal God to people back then. So God has chosen us, his church, to function as the body to reveal God to a broken and lost world now. So how preposterous is it to think that we can infight and dishonor and disregard one another and neglect our gift? Our gifts and our unity have always been about Jesus. 
always been about being the body. Always been about a physical manifestation of God to the world. And I think we get this so wrong sometimes, and I pray that God forgives us for that. I'm going to end with this poem, and I'm bang on time. I don't know who the author is of this poem. If you know, come and tell me. But it says, He has no hands but our hands to do his work. He has no feet to lead men in his way. He has no voice but our voice to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to lead them to his side. And God chose to do it that way. He chose to use you and me. We should be in awe of God. There should be a fear of God that grips our hearts to know that he could have done it any other way. But he chooses you and me. Gives us gifts and causes us to be part of a body that is a family, that is a living, dynamic organism that brings glory to him by revealing him to the world. So when people look at the church, they must go, that's what God is like. That blows my mind. And I'm so sorry for disrespecting gifts and my gift and there's a sense in which I feel like there's even a place we need to like repent before the Lord of undermining our gifts for coveting stuff that other people have and for not pursuing what God has given to us to bring and for thinking that this is just a place we gather on a Sunday and then we're gone and we go into our different spaces and places that actually we, we don't stop being part of the body maybe there need to be relationships that are restored maybe you need to discover what your gift is you've just been sitting on a gold mine and the church is lesser for it because you think there's nothing there. This is the supreme honor of a Christian church. Not only that we're in relationship with God, but that we are his body here on earth being used by God to bring others into relationship with him. Oh, God, help us to do that well. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I just want to pray for your forgiveness where there needs to be. Lord, I want to pray for your revelation where there needs to be of the gifts that we carry and of the beautiful diversity of your body, which is your representation of yourself to the world. God, may we love one another, forgive one another, embrace one another, tolerate one another, and more than just tolerate, Lord, love deeply who you've given to us as brothers and sisters. Whether we know them personally or not, Lord, may there be this shared unity in the spirit that exists here at Connect Church. Lord, Come like a refiner's fire and burn away the chaff. Come with your sickle, Lord, and thresh the threshing floor. Lord, may people discover the significance of the gold and the precious spiritual stuff that you put into them. And may it be outworked. May it come like a flood, Lord, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.